0: Would you turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14? Luke chapter 14, we've been looking at in this series we were on, on building your support team, the seven qualities of maturity. As we said, not that there are only seven qualities of maturity, but if you can work on these seven and get these seven working in your life, you will become more mature as a Christian. Your your maturity level will impact yourself. It will impact your call. It will impact the people that are around you. If you want to have good people on your team, you need to get some mature people on the team. Not all mature people, because you have to have some folks that you are there to grow up. But some of the qualities we looked at so far, first off was steadfast. Second was patient. Third was calm. Fourth was peace. And we just finished up looking at joyfulness. Those are the first five that we looked at. We're on number six here. If you want to go back and check any of those out, there's all kinds of places that you can do that. You can go back on the Facebook videos. We have podcasts. All these things, of course, are free. Sermon.net has them up there on their site. And uh, YouTube as well. So uh, head on out there, check them out. Last week we were looking at how some of the things that are in to try and steal your joy and how you can protect it. But here we're going to take a look at gratefulness. We've already looked at a few things in the area of gratefulness in our midweek service but we didn't get into it in real depth because we're going to get into it here. Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin over here at verse 1. Now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the the Pharisees to eat, I'm sorry, to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Now it happened, he went to the house of one of the rulers. How is it that after church on Sunday, you go to somebody's house, that's not related to you. How is it that you go to a person's house that is not related to you after church on a Sunday? You are invited. Have you ever just shown up at somebody's house after church on a Sunday? <laughs> no, we don't do it. We get an invitation. So what you're going to know here is that the people that are coming to this feast, or the, to this, this meal, this after church meal, and about, by the way, after-church meals are
1: scriptural.
0: <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good thing, isn't it? But it, the people that are coming here are invited. If you are invited, then your presence is intentional. You are there for a reason. There's all kinds of reasons we invite people over for after-church dinner. Sometimes there's somebody new to us and we just want to get to know them. And there's no better way to get to know people than over a meal. And so we invite them over. Hey, I've up to church on Sunday. You come on over and uh, let's, let's have some, some dinner. So then if those arrangements are made, and they're generally made ahead of time, then you have uh, people that are making the meal. And in these days, especially with the Pharisees, they had so many laws about what you could do on the Sabbath that you had to make sure all this was taken care of beforehand. So more than likely, all these invitations are sent out before the Sabbath, It is known after the service where we're going to dinner. So it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. So they watched him. Now they invited him. So one of the reasons you might invite people to come over for church on on Sunday is number one, to get to know them. Maybe another reason is you already know them and you just want to build up that relationship. You just want to have some more time because if you're going to build up a relationship, you have to have some time with them. So, um, another reason, I'm sure that no one here knows this third reason, but it does go on. Sometimes people invite others over after church because they don't trust them. And they want to find out how they can remove them what their weak spots are how they can undermine them who their friends are who their allies are they'll do this they do this in church it's in the bible but they also do this in church there are people in church their reasons for being there are not always that good and they sometimes they'll see somebody who's who's coming in church this is a threat I need to find out who they are and what they're doing. These Pharisees did not invite Jesus over because they want to get to know him. They didn't invite him over because they want to build on a relationship. They did not even invite him over because they wanted to learn the things that he could teach them. They invited him over because they wanted to find a way to get rid of Jesus. That's why they did it. Don't think that's a new thing that happens today, and if it shocks you that it does happen, believe me, I can tell you, it does happen. It does happen in churches. It is a shame, but it does happen in churches. This is what they're doing to Jesus, because look at this. Look at what it says here. They invited him over to eat, and they watched him closely. They are not, they're watching them closely. If you're watching somebody closely, there's a reason, there's a motivation. You're trying to see something that they do. Now look at this next verse. Don't let this next verse go go, uh, past you here. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. There was a certain man before him who had dropsy. Now, I looked up that word before to find out what before meant. Because you all know, I love Greek, and Greek can be very descriptive, and this is one of those words, I like this word, it's used 48 times in the New Testament, because I know someone out there was asking. (laughs) 48 times you'll see this word word come up. What you'll see from this word, this is a compound word, which is very common in any language, it is made up of the Greek word en, and the Greek word pros. Now, get this. This is the word we get from combining N and PROS. We get M prosthen. Pro, I'm sorry, M prosen. Somehow the N gets turned into an M. I don't know exactly why that is, I just know that that's what it is. I trust the people who uh, give me the etymology of the word. What this means is in front of as far as place or time, may mean against, may mean that, before. These are just some of the general, general things. Here is the more in-depth definition. It means in front of or before. So they would be in front of you. They would be. And there's a reason for us looking at this. You'll, I'm not I'm not just wasting time here. It could be in front if you went out and the whole parking lot is before you. It can mean that. The whole region. Sometimes Abraham went out and the land was before him. And God would say, look at the land before him. That's Hebrew, but that's the the meaning that's there. It may mean in the presence of. It may mean in the sight of. Or it may denote rank. As in they come before in rank. In this particular situation, when this word is being used, what we know is the location of the man that is in that is in mind here. So I have two people that I've uh, pulled out for this particular thing, and so I need my man who has the disease, and I need Jesus. <laughs> will you? Uh, will both of you come forward for me? So we have this. As this is our. This is our. Uh, as a, as word put it. This is our certain man. This is, this is our certain man. Where's, where's Jesus? Here comes Jesus. All right. All right. He looks like Jesus. There we go. All right. So here what we got. We, when you go to someone's house, you do what? You go in the door. Because in order to have a house, you have to have walls, generally windows, and a door. So we're we're going into the door. There's two ways that we can understand this word. One, the sick man went in front of Jesus. This is how the, the, the writers are describing this. They didn't say behind. They didn't say alongside. They said in front, which means the sick man came in and then Jesus came in. The other way it could mean is that he's in the presence of, which means Jesus could be sitting at the table and the man is sitting at the table. Everybody got that? All right, we're going to use you guys again in a little bit. You can go back. That's important for this, this reason. Jesus is there because he has what? An invitation. So why is the man with dropsy there? Because he has an invitation. What you know are the Pharisees. Does that lend you to think they would take somebody who is diseased and bring them into their house on the Sabbath? That's not what we know of the Pharisees, is it? So, if they have an invitation to Jesus and an invitation to the man with dropsy, what's their purpose? And we're going to try and catch him. The man is here for no other purpose than we're going to use you to get to Jesus. Just out of curiosity, has anybody ever been burned in a sim- similar situation where somebody in church was out to get you? Anybody have that? Only one. Well, glory to God. Of course, you've been here for a while, so we don't have folks like that. <laughs> so, behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. How many know what dropsy is? Uh, we got a couple people who know what dropsy is. The rest of you don't. And that's okay we're going to we're going to go over what that is here so we're, first off we're at the home of the pharisee because there's a dinner invitation so a certain man who had dropsy but he also had an invitation he went before jesus so all the pharisees are watching him they invited jesus to dinner on the sabbath and they ordered they brought in a sick man so what we know of the pharisees what's their purpose here we're going to put jesus in an enclosed environment where Jesus is there with the sick man, and we're going to see what happens. They're watching Jesus. Let's see what he does. They invited Jesus to dinner. They're on the Sabbath. Other Pharisees are there. Other Pharisees are invited in this man. Jesus answered, spoke to the, la- the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, this is an interesting question. Is it lawful? He asked them, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? If you will do a search in your Bible, you will find out that the Pharisees asked Jesus the exact same question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And you remember what he did when he, when he encountered that. This is another time. But look at this, this verse again. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees. Did we miss something? If somebody is going to answer what usually comes first, a question. How come there is no question? Now, who's writing this book? Luke is a very detailed man. He writes good notes. He's a doctor. You may not be able to read his notes. But he's a good... He's a, he's a detailed man. He has this down. If that, if there had been a question, he would have written it down. Jesus answering. Why did he answer? Because he knows their thoughts. He knows what they're thinking. They're thinking, is Jesus going to heal this man? Because if he heals this man, we can get him. We can get him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, the uh, the disease that he has it causes some swelling. Uh, I believe the the modern term for it is uh, edema. I think is what they they call it. I've seen people good or medical people are saying yes. So (laughs) have that. One of the causes of this is congestive heart failure. So there might be some other things besides just what you see that are going on in this thing. And so they brought this man in, not because they're concerned about the man, not because they want to see him healed, not because they have any uh, uh, compassion on their side. They just want to see if they can catch Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Very often, it's not only the question that you ask, it's how you ask it and the timing that you've got. You see, you could, say, you could ask that question like the Pharisees did is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Like we already know the answer to this and you better get it right. Or you could ask like Jesus says, tell me. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? There's another time when this this is put in there and he says, is it okay to do good or to do evil? To save or to kill? And they couldn't answer him. It's how you phrase the question, how you say the question a lot of times. Just, your kids know this. You know this very, very well. Because you can go to your mom and say, can I have a cookie? Right? Or you can go to your mom and you can say, can I have a cookie? (laughs) Now, it's the exact same question. But how you ask it changes the response that you will get. Don't think that's uh, not... Not undone on adults. Adults can do that too. So Jesus asked the question, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. He took him and healed him and let him go. Have we eaten yet? Hmm. I don't know that we've eaten yet. And if they have started to eat, is he finished? (laughs) I don't know apparently the meal wasn't an issue wasn't a big deal jesus knows he's not here for the meal he's here to try and get me into something is it lawful to heal on the sabbath but they kept silent and he took him and healed him and let him go and the man left he's probably thinking the whole time i really don't want to be here i don't know what they did to get him there uh maybe they tried to butter him up and he was thinking oh man this is this is really great um and once he's in there, he says, uh, this is not what I thought it was. Have you ever had that? Well, you got an invitation to something, and when you got there, you found out this is not what I thought it was. Can I get out? <laughs> can I leave? Then he answered them, saying, again, we're answering them. They're not saying anything. But they're thinking things, and he knows their thoughts. Uh, the Spirit of God revealed it to him. He doesn't know their thoughts because he's God. He knows their thoughts because the Holy Spirit reveals it to him, just like he can with you. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. Now, here's what we want to get at. We're looking at gratefulness. And um, I was talking about this parable with somebody, and I took purposely the parable rendition that has the least details, because we're probably going to, in in a few months or so, we're going to spend some time and go through the parable again because it has been a long time since we've been through them and I love the parables. Oh, there's so much good stuff in the parables. So we'll deal with the one that has a little bit more detail, which I believe is over in Matthew. Uh, but over here we're just, we're just looking at this. I just want us to look at one aspect of this, this story here. And here's the first question. Were they thankful that Jesus came to dinner? Were they thankful that Jesus came to dinner? Have you ever invited people out to dinner or over to your house for dinner? And they said, yeah, we can go. And inside, you were thankful. Oh, brother, sister, so-and-so is going to go out to dinner, going to come over to our house for dinner. Oh, we're so happy. We're going to get to spend some time with them. Oh, we're looking forward to this. And you just, just brought you some joy. You were thankful that they were coming to dinner. It just changes everything about the dinner. What if maybe this has happened to you? you invited brother or sister so-and-so to come out to dinner, and now you are so thankful they are coming to dinner, and then brother or sister so-and-so comes up to you and says, hey, uh, I hope you don't mind, but I invited brother or sister so-and-so too. And immediately you're thinking,
1: oh,
0: <laughs> well, that changes the day. <laughs> I mean, there's some people that if they come into the group, they just change it, and make everything about them. They, uh, they are, are bickering or whatever it might be. You just know, well, we just changed this day. Yeah, that's fine. Bring them along. But you're not thankful that they're coming. The Pharisees are not thankful that Jesus came. They are glad that he came, but they're not thankful. They're glad because they think we can get him. That's why. So they're not thankful that Jesus came to dinner. Now, were they grateful for an opportunity to learn from the Master? No. If you had Jesus coming to your house for dinner. How many of you would be so grateful? Oh, Jesus is going to come and he's going to spend some time in my house and have dinner.
1: Oh, this is great.
0: Oh, yeah. We are looking forward to this. A, I'm sorry. A, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day and they could not answer him regarding these things? If, if you were, if you had Jesus over and you want to learn from Him, you'd be asking them questions like, uh, what can we do in this? What is God's desi- desires in the area of healing? We would be asking them questions along these lines. We wouldn't be trying to trap them. They're not grateful. They're not thankful. Now the reason for it is because in their minds, they were exalted and Jesus is criticized. In their minds. They are exalted. Jesus is criticized. You know this just from the things that they do. Because when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, how many of them had good things to say about it? When Jesus taught things, how many of them had good things to say about it? No, they criticized Jesus. Constantly criticized Jesus. You do not criticize the things that you exalt. I see, I saw somebody putting on a sweat. Anybody cold? Just a, uh one, two. I got, I got over here. We're we're running the fan. <laughs> this is always a challenge in a in a building. You know, you're trying to just keep as many people comfortable as you can. If it gets too cold, you just let me know because you see the first part of the service, we always try and set it a little bit different than the second part because the first part, you know, you're moving around, you're worshiping you're glory to God, and then the second part, you're kind of sitting down. <laughs> we can change that up if if we need to but in their minds they themselves were exalted jesus is criticized now you look at your own life we accept or we fix what we love and what we appreciate i accept and i fix what i love and what i appreciate how many of you have a tv at home that has seen better days Anybody have a TV at home that's seen better? Everybody has new TVs. There you go. Or you just don't care, you don't watch it. <laughs> we have a TV at home that, you know, uh you you have certain things that come on. And on the TV, we have all these lines that go down. You know, all, I don't know, there's probably, what, 30 of them? 15, 20, 30? A bunch of lines. Just as so you know, purple lines for our TV. Purple lines that come on down because something is wrong in the screen, its definition. But, um, neither it's not a, it's not an exalted thing it's fine the way that it is we really don't care that it, that it is that way um so we haven't replaced it i don't even know when we we got that christian was in high school when we when we purchased that thing was he in junior high it may have even been junior high it's been it's been around for for a while uh but you know i don't i don't you know we don't want to fix the thing my neighbor had a tv not quite as old as ours it was a I think it was a plasma TV. I think it was a plasma TV. He's, he's ready to get rid of it because it's not working, but he found a guy who could fix it. And so he took it over to the guy and says, can you fix it? And the guy looked it over and says, oh yeah, yeah, we can fix this. He said, I would fix this because this is a better made TV than what they're giving you now. He said, we can fix this. Some of the new stuff we can't fix, but this one we can fix. So I think it's worthwhile. I think it cost him three or four hundred dollars to fix it. Yeah, it wasn't cheap, but, um, he decided that this was the better way to go than to uh, spend the money on on whatever else that he had, and so he gave me the story. I loved the story that he gave me. He just he was uh, telling me all the things that were involved in it, and and when the thing came, he said, "Can you come on over and help me?" Move? Oh yeah, yeah, you can come on over and help. I helped him move her on on into the spot, and and it was all fixed up. And he um, has the number if I ever have something that needs to be fixed up. This is a guy who can who can fix some of those things. But you see, that was I'm not they they didn't exalt the TV, but they but they saw that TV is worth more than what was on the, on the market. And so it was more worthwhile to fix that than it was to go get something else because they valued what was old and repairable higher than what was purchased and disposable. That, that's, that's the value. Whatever it is that you value, you will fix. If you see a problem in your children, you fix it. Because you value them. There's a certain value that you have for them. Uh, there's things out there that you, you don't fix. How many of you have some, some things in your house? If it breaks, it's out. You're not taking up any more space. You are gone. Because I don't value it, I, don't e- I may not even replace it. I just, you know, we, we send it out. And uh, it, it depends on what, what kind of value you put on it. Because the things that we value, the things that we esteem, We either accept the faults that are there or we fix it, one or the other. The rest we criticize and denounce. If you don't value something, you will criticize and denounce it. You look at people that are outside, they don't value church, they criticize and denounce it. The people who do value church, they want to get involved, they want to fix things, they want to help things, they want to make things uh, go better. These folks, these Pharisees, they criticize Jesus because they see themselves as higher than him. Now, there were some of those who once loved and appreciated Jesus who later denounced him. Something happened. Jesus wasn't as valued as he was before. How do they get to such a place? Now, I I gave you a quote many, many years ago. I gave you this quote, and I've changed it a a little bit. I'm I'm going to give you that quote in a little bit. I'm a little premature, I don't want to give you that one. But here's this one. This is this is just something I wrote down. The ability to get into trouble and the ability to get out of trouble are subtle present in the same person. The ability to get into trouble and the ability to get out of trouble are subtle present in the same person. How many of you have had kids who know how to get in trouble? Do they know how to get out? But then you have other kids who know how to fix trouble. They know how to, how to get out of trouble, but they're not usually getting into trouble. Isn't it amazing how that doesn't uh, work on, on both sides? Yeah. There are, there are people out there that will, that will do that. Now, these, these folks, these, these Pharisees, these are people who can get into trouble, but they can't fix anything. They're constantly finding trouble, constantly getting into trouble, but they really can't fix anything because they don't have truth. Jesus is constantly fixing trouble. People make trouble about the things he does, but he himself doesn't make trouble. You know, it's kind of like when the kids get together and something happens. She started it. There's always somebody else who, who began the thing. With Jesus, it actually is they who who started it. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Jesus. So, Are they glad that Jesus came to dinner? No. Now, you'll notice that on the the little subtopics I gave you here, uh, we try to get a little cute on these. But here on this one, you want moi to sit where? (laughs) You want me to sit where? This is what Jesus goes on to say. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places saying to them. So this is what he noticed. He had come in to dinner. He had come in to dinner, and he's watching them. They're watching him. Now we find out he was watching them. And when he watched, what he watched was some of them took seats that are honored seats. We may not understand this because we don't have it quite to the degree that they did. But they had certain settings, the head of the table, uh, to the right, to the left, and then working their way on down to the foot of the table. That's the lower end of the the spectrum of things. And so some of the people that would come in, they wouldn't sit at the the, the foot of the... They would go right up here to 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 the top. Now, of all the people that you know are invited to this, the man who's sick, the Pharisees, the leaders of the synagogue, and Jesus, to you, who's the most honored? But when they came in, how many of you can picture in this story that they defaulted to Jesus to have the place of honor. I don't think that happened. And Jesus probably didn't stand up and fight for it, saying, hey, I need to be in the place of honor. Uh, he probably didn't do that at all. He probably just took the, the seat down there at the, the lowest honored position. He's probably right down there next to the man with dropsy because they didn't give him an honored position. And they're probably sitting right there next to each other. And Jesus is watching them. And after we got through all this stuff about the healing and Jesus, let's just take care of this matter right now. Let's heal them, get them on the way. Now let's get down to business. Let's get down to some stuff. And so Jesus goes on and he tells the parable. I'm going to give you a heads up on this. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to play a song. I'm interested to find out how many of you folks actually know it. My money's on two people who know it. My money's on two people that know it. I'll bet you the rest of you don't. He noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Are they at a wedding feast? No. They're just at a after-church feast. Do not sit down in the best places, lest one more honorable uh, than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. So you went for the higher honor, and someone else more honorable than you came in. So they say we got to take you out, put you down here, because the only spot that's open now is down here at the foot of the table. You could have been sitting in a more honorable spot, but you you were greedy. You took a more honorable place than you should have. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. Now, I notice this one flaw in this story. If I'm one of the people that has the mentality of the Pharisees, I'm coming into the wedding feast. I'm going to sit here in the lowest end now. Somebody better come get me. And if nobody comes get me, I'm mad. And on my way out, you didn't come get me. You let me sit there the whole time. (laughs) I can see that happening with some, that's the wrong attitude. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying you should just come on in and just take the lowest spot. Don't be concerned about the honor of the, of the position that is there. Don't be, don't be messing with that. So he gives this parable. Now, on one of those, uh, verse uh, 16. I'm sorry, no one. Where do we leave off at? My, my page just jumped ahead of me. I'm sorry about that. I'm looking at that said, we're not up to that one yet. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We all know that verse real well, don't we? This is where it came from. Stay humble. Let other people exalt you. And if they don't, don't worry about it. Then he also said to him who invited him, the one who invited him, you see he's speaking to him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your nor rich neighbors. He probably could have put in there your friend Pharisees. Lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So, with that list that he just gave, he is telling the man who threw the feast who he should have invited, right? Who is the kind of person he should have invited? The man with dropsy that they already just dismissed. That's the one they should have invited. And he was only invited to come on in because of a trap. Verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things. One of those. This is not the man who put on the feast. This is not the man who gave the invitation. This is somebody in the group. Could be a Pharisee. Could be a leader of the synagogue. Could be a friend. We don't know. But it's somebody in the group who is there, who says this. He realizes we have all been put on notice here. And so he says, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Have you ever been around people, religious people, who, uh, because they don't know anything else to say, they just say something that seems to be spiritual, but it makes absolutely no sense at all? I mean, really, when you look at this, I, I, my wife will sometimes, she, she has a lot more friends on Facebook than I do. I, I'm just, I'm just not, not that interested. And she's, she's got, oh yeah, I got this person from Rhema and this person from Rhema and then this, this person is a friend of theirs. And, and uh, she's telling me the stuff that they say, but every once in a while she'll say, somebody put this up. What do you think of this? And she'll read it off to me and says, man, that's garbage. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. She's like, just make, it makes no, no sense at all. Look at what he says blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God all right now let me show you how ridiculous this is first off if you are in the kingdom of God how many know you're already blessed why are we focused on eating bread in the kingdom of God we're in the kingdom of God how blessed are we to be in the presence of God how blessed are we to be with with the angels and all the all the things going on. I mean, it's going to be... You're eating bread? That's what you come to? Really? Because we're at a feast, we're trying to say something spiritual along the lines of what Jesus said, so we maybe... You know, oh, well done. Well said. Yeah, that's that's good. I'm sure you have been in groups. You know, somebody says something ridiculous like that, and then other people... Oh, amen. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so deep. And, and you're thinking... What in the world kind of nutty spirituality is this going on here? And very few people will call that out, but sometimes you just need to. Because just go back to Scripture. This is, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, he said to him, he's not talking to the host. We're talking, talking to you. You want to open your mouth? You want to be spiritual? Here we go. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And sent his servants at the supper time to say to those who were invited, "Come, for all things are now ready." But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. First, said to him, "I have bought a, a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused." And another said, "I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused." Still another said, "I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come." Now Jesus is giving this in response. To what was going on. We have the invitation. The invitation was given out for this dinner. The invitation was given out for this wedding feast. Here's the invitation. And you all know we have a wedding feast, you don't give out the invitations the morning of, you give it out, you know, well in advance so that people know this is the wedding that's coming up and here this thing is, is happening, so that you can plan and you can have things that you can that you can do. And so the they all come in for the for the wedding feast. but they're supposed to come in for the wedding feast. He goes out there and he says, uh, come on out, come on in. We want you to, to come on out to the to the feast here. And uh, they all have excuses. They can't come. Uh, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not going to be able to, to, to go. Now, um, I've asked our children to come on up here and to help us out again. So um, Lamar is filling in as my, my prop manager here. So if we can bring those chairs up and have the kids come on up here for this. We're going to just... Uh, show what was kind of going on here with this. Because they are at a meal that, a, that seemed to require an invitation. So they have an invitation, so he's giving them a story about a meal that required an invitation. You see that? They're at a meal that they're only there because they had an invitation. And he's telling a story about a meal that requires an invitation. The story he gives, no one had time to come to the meal. The story he's telling it to, they're all there at the meal. They had time for this meal. Which means, what he's telling them here, y'all can sit down. Now, we're all still the same people. Jesus is right here. He's at the head of the table. That's good. We like that. And so they're they're here sitting down. Jesus is telling the story. Now, Max is no longer the man with dropsy because he's gone. He, he's someone else. These are people that are saying, we're going to make him the man who asked the question. So Jesus is, is, is speaking to him. He's telling him this story. And he's just looking at him, but everybody else is, is hearing this story. And he's telling the story how this big event they were given plenty of notice for, and all of a sudden they can't come to people. Get this. got to understand to people that are sitting at a table because of an invitation. What he's telling them is everything else in your life was put on hold to be here. What was the purpose of this, of this meal? Was this purpose a wedding feast? Was this purpose something for the kingdom of God? Remember the question? Blessed is the man who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Why are you all here? Why are they all here? Kingdom of God business? Trap Jesus business. Each person here, not you guys, ones you're playing. <laughs> Each person here has prioritized this meal. Against everything else that is going on. We are going to be here at this meal. We have put everything else on hold. And he tells a story of a much more important feast, the wedding feast, that everybody had more important things to do than to come to the meal. So what that tells Jesus is, is basically telling here to these people, you all have exalted this meal. Now look at the excuses they give. Then he said to them, uh, let's go over to... uh Verse 17, and he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Can you play our song? This song, I think, is probably something like at least 50 years old. It it, it goes back to when I was a kid. They played it for me in church. This is where I learned this, this song from. Go ahead. This is done with Legos.
2: I cannot come. I cannot come to banquet. Don't trouble me now. I have married a wife. I have bought me a cow. I cannot come. The master rose up in anger, called his servants by name, said, Go into the town, fetch the blind and the lame, fetch the peasant and the pauper, for this I have will. My banquet must be crowded and my table must be filled. I cannot come. I cannot come to the the banquet, don't trouble me now. Married a wife I have bought me a cow I have fields and commitments That cost a pretty sum Pray hold me excuse I cannot come When all the poor had assembled There was still room to spare So the master demanded Go search everywhere To the highways and the byways And force them to come in My table must be filled Before the banquet can begin My I cannot come to the banquet, don't trouble me now. I have married a wife, I have bought me a cow, I have fields and commitments that cost a pretty sum. Pray home me, excuse, I cannot come. Now, God has mentioned a lesson for the rest of mankind. If we're slow in responding, He may leave us behind. He's preparing a banquet for that great and glorious day. When the Lord and Master calls us, be certain that I cannot come. I cannot come. I cannot come to the banquet. Don't trouble me now. I have married a wife. I have bought me a cow. I have fields and commitments
1: that cost a pretty sun. They hold me I cannot
0: come. <laughs> How many have never heard that song before? <laughs> Anybody ever heard that song? All right. And tell you, I didn't have you, Peg. I had you, Peg. I thought Miss Gladys would have heard the song before, too. You did? You heard that? Isn't that a great song? <laughs> to this day, I heard this when I was a kid. To this day, I cannot read this parable without hearing that song. <laughs> that song is great. I still have the song memorized. I I I could still sing along with it. And it's been a decade since I actually sang that song, but except for my head. Now, this uh we have the invitation that went out to all these people. We have the excuses. So Jesus is telling this parable to them and the excuses are I married a wife. Yeah, you didn't know about that ahead of time? <laughs> that that didn't that come up? I bought me a cow. Uh huh. Anybody ever bought a car without test driving it? You're gonna tell me that you bought a cow, you gotta go out there and make sure it's working okay? Uh, these these are not good excuses. These are excuses that this is just life. And they're saying that life became more important. Now, when the invitation went out and Jesus invited people to the feast, and Jesus says, I want you to come to the wedding feast. This is the wedding feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want you to come. I have a special invitation for you. I want you to come. And everybody, Christians all over the world, they got real excited. They said yes, 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 we want to come. We want to come. And since there was a time frame between the time the invitation was given and the time that the dinner was actually planned, things happened. And life happened. And what happened was, at the time that everybody got the invitation, this was an exalted event. This was something important. It was a wedding feast. But by the time it came, other things had come in and became exalted over it. And this is what he's, he's talking about. Guys, you're all here at this wedding feast and you're putting on the airs like these things are important, but other things have come in. Other things have crept in and they've taken your priority. And no longer is the priority the kingdom of heaven or eating bread or having a feast in the kingdom of heaven. That's not where you see the blessing. Right now you all are gathered here because you're trying to catch me in something that you think will take me down. The other things had come in. Other things. They stopped being grateful. Thanks, guys. They stopped being grateful for what they had received. They stopped being grateful that Jesus' presence was here. They stopped being grateful that they have an invitation. You can just leave all this stuff there. I'm sorry. They stopped being grateful that they have an invitation to be in heaven for the kingdom. If all these other things came in and they stopped being grateful. They were more grateful because they bought a cow or oxen they were more grateful because they got married they were more grateful because of things that they purchased and they're just too busy it's just too much now Jesus gave this parable in response to what was here see the dinner that was told was an event this dinner that they were here for. This dinner they were sitting here for. This is an event. But it's not an exalted event. It's just an event. But Jesus is talking about there's, a, there's an exalted event coming up and you guys have prioritized everything else. And has pushed out the exalted event. But you can make time for this event. You can make time for, for being here. Came became easy for other things to be exalted over it. Flesh-mindedness exalts what is new over what has already been given. person who has a flesh-mind, they will exalt something that is new over something that had been given. Oh, it's a new shiny thing. You know, and it'll take the place of something that was probably more important. Just like that uh, my neighbor with the TV he didn't get distracted by the flashy new TVs. He saw the value of the one that he had and it was worthwhile fixing. I actually don't remember how much he spent to, to fix it. I just, I remember he, it was something and it was made him think about it, but he said, no, I'll go ahead and do this, do this thing because he saw the value that was there. But flesh mindedness won't do that. They, they see the value of something new. You'll see this with the church today because a lot of times we have the, the teachings in the word of God. And after a while, they can get a little bit boring and somebody comes out, I have a new revelation. I have something new from God. And we, oh, let me hear the new revelation. Let me hear the new thing that we can do. Okay, it's not in the Word, but it's important for you to do this. Look at all the blessings that have come into my life because of it. Verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And that, of course, didn't go over so well. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and there is still room. That tells you a whole lot of people were invited and a whole lot of people didn't come. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways, the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper he's he's hitting them pretty hard here now if you go over to matthew's gospel it puts it this way then he said to his servants the wedding is ready but those who were invited were not worthy the new living translation puts it this way and he said to his servants the wedding feast is ready and the guests i invited aren't worthy of the honor Now just so you understand some of, the, some of the importance of a translation, I'm going to read another translation for you. I'm not going to tell you which one it is yet. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. That is a Bible translation. Those I invited did not deserve to come. You read that translation that way. How do you not read this, that God invited people who didn't deserve to come? Does that disturb you? It disturbs me greatly when I read that. How dare you translate this thing? That is not what the Bible said. That's not what Jesus said. You just put words in his mouth. And you just put a whole lot of uh, of doctrine out there that is not true. Those I invited aren't or, I'm sorry, those I invited did not deserve to come. Did he not know as God that they didn't deserve to come? That's not what he said. Anybody want to take a guess as to which one that was? NIV. Indeed. Those that I invited aren't worthy of the honor. How is it that they went from a place? Of being worthy of the invitation to not being worthy of the honor of coming. Think about it. All we have to know is what's in the story. What in the story tells us that they became unworthy? It's simply they didn't exalt the feast above the other things in their life. It is simply that they no longer were grateful for the invitation. That is it. It doesn't speak anything about how they lived their lives, how often they went to church, how many people they converted. It speaks nothing to that. All it says is they didn't value the invitation. They didn't exalt the event and they were not grateful that they received the invitation. It became a bother to them. Now you can, you can remember sometimes in your own life, how many times have you have, uh, had an invitation, somebody said, can you come? We're going to do this. And you said yes. This doesn't mean you're unspiritual. This happened, but you said yes. And then as it got closer, other things came up and it was no longer convenient to go. It became A bother. And maybe you even went up to him and said, Is it really important that I go? See something else has been exalted over in in front of it. This is what Jesus is dealing with. You want to ask you wanna tell me how blessed it is to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven? You guys have not even made it a priority. You have already disdained the invitation what he's speaking to. We're always grateful for something. But it can become a gratitude for wrong things. It can become a gratitude for wrong things. The things that are most exalted in my life are the things that you are most grateful for. And they get the best and the biggest part of it. If you do not walk in the kind of gratitude the kind of gratefulness that God expects of you. You will never mature as a Christian. And next week, we're going to take a look at some things. You would be surprised at the seeds that ungratefulness plants in you. There are things that are going on in Christians that you know that when I show you these things next week, you're going to say, oh, their problem was they were ungrateful. And that spurred all this stuff on. Being ungrateful spurs on so many Wrong things in your life. We're going to wait till next week to get into that. The invited became unworthy simply because they didn't value the invitation. They didn't exalt the event. They became ungrateful. And basically, it's just too much for us to go. Now, even selfish people are grateful for themselves. They're grateful that they're not like other people. Remember that uh, story Jesus told? The religious person that comes to the altar, thank God I'm not like this guy. I am grateful I'm not like this guy. I am grateful that I am so much better than this guy. See, yeah, Even selfish people, they still are grateful. They're just grateful for the wrong things. we got to make sure we stay grateful for the right things. Now, how do you keep God and the things that matter to Him in the most exalted place in your life? First of all, be thankful and grateful. Maintain that. Always be thankful and grateful. How many read the quote in the bulletin today? The rest of you, make sure you read it. I'm not going to read it for you. It has to do with what we're getting into. Be thankful and grateful. That's the first thing. You've got to maintain that. Grumbling and complaining is a sign that you are not thankful and grateful. Be thankful and be grateful. Yeah, but you don't know what, it doesn't matter. Be thankful and be grateful. I don't have to be thankful for bad things that happen in my life, but I got to stay thankful. We'll talk more about that as we, we go on. But treasure what God treasures. That's the second part. Be thankful and grateful. Maintain that attitude in yourself. Second, this is is important, treasure what God treasures. You study his word to find out what does God consider to be important. What does God treasure? Whatever it is that God treasures, focus on that, treasure that. How do you treasure that? These are the things you think on. These are the things you meditate on. These are the things you talk about. This is what dominates your thoughts. It's what you put in the abundance of your heart. Treasure what God treasured. Here's the third one. Do what is important to God first. Do what is important to God first. Don't do what's important to you first. Do what's important to God first. When you were growing up, or if you are in the process of growing up, you all know there was what you thought was important And what mom and dad thought was important. And things were better as a kid if you did first (laughs) what mom and dad thought was important. Not what you thought was important. But you all remember days when you did what you thought was important before doing what mom and dad thought was important. And that will get you into trouble. But it can get you into a good place When mom and dad see that you did what they thought was important, what they said was important, before you did what you... Same thing with God. How many parents are out there yelling at their kids because they're doing what they think is important instead of what mom and dad have said is important, and then with God they're doing the same thing? How can you correct your kids when you're doing the same thing to God? You're giving them a bad example to follow. They're probably just following your example prioritize what God says. God, if you said this is how I should live my life, this is how I live my life. Do what is important to God first. What you have to do is to, you have to be, think, and do like God. you got to have his heart. What would God do here? How would God want me to respond? See, if God is not exalted above all, I will find myself at some point just like those people who rejected the invitation. Don't ever think, well, I can't ever be one of those people who rejects the invitation. Oh, yeah, you can. All you got to do is start exalting other things before what God exalted. That's all you got to do. You start exalt- exalting sports over what God said was important. You start exalting work over what God said was important. You exalt career. You exalt relationships. You exalt house. Cars, hobbies. If you exalt any of these things over God, it will not be long before you are in the same position as these folks and you are rejecting the invitation. A lot of people were invited. What Jesus is telling you is an awful lot of people didn't come. A lot of people that are not making it to heaven, not because they didn't have a way, because they turned down the invitation. They exalted other things. Here's that quote I told you about. This is by uh, I think I pronounced his name name right, Horace. Ad- adversity reveals genius; prosperity conceals it. Now he says this, is a, it's, kind of, it's kind of called the Italian version of necessity is the mother of invention. Adversity reveals genius, prosperity conceals it. I changed it around just a little bit. I changed it around to this. Adversity reveals genuineness. Prosperity conceals it. When you come into adversity and you maintain Whatever it is that you maintain in adversity is genuinely in you. If you want to go around and say "Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah," and then problems come on, oh dear, oh I'm so worried, oh I'm going to die. All right, what you were saying before that wasn't genuine. That was fake. Adversity, when it comes upon you, will reveal who you really are, what's really on the inside. It will reveal whether are are you a worshipper, are you really a word person. Are you really filled with joy? Does faith really rule your life? Do you really want to do what God wants you to do? You get down to a place with adversity it will reveal it. When things are going good, things are prosperous, you can fake it. But when things get tough, you can't. That's where what is genuinely in you comes out. You can't conceal it. What you have to get to is to get to that place that you are genuinely grateful. It's in you. It's so much of fabric in you. No matter what happens adversity wise, you cannot get out of that place of just being so grateful and so thankful. Glory to God. Father God, I thank you for the life that is to come. I thank you that I have that invitation to the wedding feast. No matter what's going on down here, this is not my home. <laughs> My home is up there and you are preparing a place for me and you just stay mindful of that and you are grateful all the time that you are going to make the devil so mad because he cannot get you into a place of being ungrateful. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that when we get to ourselves, we move ourselves into that place of just being grateful and seeing the good in everything that is around us and being grateful for it. Changes our life. Changes our relationship with you. So much of the seeds of darkness are planted in the soil of ungratefulness. And they spring up and they grow. And we wonder, how did this get there? But well, we became ungrateful. We've received some great honors from you, some great things from you. And just like the people in the parable, we've cast it aside because. We bought some property. We changed our life situation. Whatever it might be. Father, help us not to fall victim to that. Those people would have stayed grateful for the invitation that they had. Their problems would not have been there. They would not have been cast out, uninvited from the feast, seen as unworthy, unworthy, the invitation I thank you Father that you made us worthy we are worthy we are not going to do the things to become unworthy by not exalting the things that you have exalted not seeing as important those things that you have spoken to us and said thank you for it help that you give us this week. Show us, pinpoint in our life, see this is an area where ungratefulness is beginning to work its way in. This is an area where you're exalting other things over the things of God. Show us where these things are, because we want to operate in our life exalting the things that should be exalted, and always being grateful, always having that attitude of gratefulness. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. I was putting the bulletin together here this morning, and I think I forgot to finish the announcement on the Wednesday night service. I didn't go back and take a look at it, but after I printed it and put it all over here, I thought, did I ever finish that? I don't think I did. So just wait till Wednesday. We'll give you the, the rundown on what's going on. I'll put it up there on, on Facebook for you. Wednesday night we're in Ephesians. to we'll pick up, I believe, at verse 10. And we'll be uh, uh, picking up with that see some of you folks here on on wednesday great to have you here bless some people before you go